On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Probably a bit close to a loss to be absolutely thrilled about what's happened, but certainly when you when you put in perspective where we've what we've done over the last 12 months, I think, as a group. And um, again, I think had you have said that we would be retaining the Ashes, I think we would have taken it and I think most Australians would have. So, yeah, I think we can be really proud of the way we've come over here, which is a challenging place for, for Australians to come and play and win, to win two test matches pretty convincingly. Um, should have won a third. Um, let that slip, no doubt. But, um, yeah, we've, we've done a lot right and we've got a lot to be really proud about. Look, I'm, I'm proud of my performances that I've put up over the, um, the four test matches that I played here, or the three and a half that I played here, and to help Australia take the, the urn back home. That was the goal, and um, I'm proud that I've been able to, to play some part in that. Uh, after the first innings, um, that gave me a lot of confidence. That was probably my favourite innings of, of the whole series that I played. Um, you know, first test match, as we know, is always incredibly important in Ashes series, and... Um, to sort of pull the team out of what was in a bit of trouble at the time um, and give me that confidence straight up that I you know, could slot back in and, and perform. Um, that gave me a lot of confidence. And, yeah, it was a, it was a long sort of 18 months out of the game and um, got a lot of people to thank, uh, in particular my wife, who, you know, it's our first wedding anniversary today, so she'd hate me if I didn't mention that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, the support that she's given me and, and my family back home coming into this series in England and, and the support she's given me over here the last four and a half months in the World Cup and the Ashes. Um, you know, I can't thank her enough. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm your host, Andrew Mensel, and that was Australia's captain, Tim Payne, speaking after Australia lost the fifth test and England were able to draw the series to all. And also Steve Smith, uh, they're talking about his favourite century of the summer. So, look, in this episode of the show, we're going to wrap up the series. Coming up later, I've got one of my new favourite poms on to give the English perspective. But now I've got one of the best cricket writers from News Corp on the line, Ben Horn. Ben, how are you going today? Yeah, very well, thanks, Manus. Yeah, it feels like the end of a very long campaign when you consider the World Cup and the Ashes, so can get back to normal bedtimes now, I guess. Yeah, absolutely right. My sleep patterns have been completely shot. But, I mean, sort of just stepping back, you know, England were able to level the series by, you know, winning quite convincingly in this last game. I mean, how, how do you think that sort of leaves us with, uh, as Aussie fans, with the sort of a feeling about the series? It's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, look, overall, I think... You know, it's a tremendous achievement. If if it had have happened in reverse, if Australia had lost the fourth test and uh, and won this one, we, we'd be sort of tearing the house down with excitement. You know, so look, it's it's a huge achievement to come to England and to win the Ashes. But I think a sense of missed opportunity with this last test, um, it was really all there for them, and uh, they just seemed to get things wrong on day one and. Yeah, just I don't know. It's hard to hard to put your finger on because the rest of the series they they were right on and most of the decisions were very very sharp. So 
yeah, very disappointing way to finish. But uh, overall, it's um, you know Australia got what they came, came got what they came for. Yeah, and look, I'm going to dig into a bit with you soon the disappointments around the fifth test. But just from a broader perspective, I think if you look at the series as, as a whole, I mean, it really. And this is not no Einstein here, but it really did turn in Headingley. You know, Australia win in Headingley. They go 2-0 up in the series. You can imagine England pretty dispirited. And perhaps then we could have seen a convincing victory from Australia. But fair credit to England. You have to say they, they actually probably improved as the series went on. So they, they pushed us all the way. They did, but uh, absolutely. But I would have thought um, they would have been pretty flat after Manchester, like I thought, England would have really been there for the for the taking. And I think if you bat first at the Oval, um, even if Australia only put three hundred on the board, I think you know there's a fair chance England may have crumbled um, under the weight of everything that had gone before. So yeah, sort of bizarre decision to to bowl first. And you know, I suppose it could have gone differently. Australia did drop a lot of chances, so um, it could have turned a master stroke. But um, it's it wasn't the percentage call. Uh, I don't think it was the percentage call at all. I think Payne absolutely stuffed that toss up because, uh, like, like not only the conditions, Ben, but when you're in a grand final, you don't put extra pressure on yourself by bowling first. You know, Australia had control of the game and, you know, Payne went with a gut feeling and he made a, you know, a judgment. Interesting, after the game, he was still pretty bullish in saying he'd... Um, do the same thing again, which I just think is incredible, I guess, because you'd think you'd learn from your mistake. Yeah, look, I mean, I guess it's, you know, in his defence, it's one factor in many. I mean, in Australia, obviously, didn't bat well at all, uh, save for Matt Wade there in the last innings and Steve Smith in the first innings. You know, Australia's top order batting has been ordinary for the entire series, and, you know, that's an ongoing concern. Uh, And Australia didn't bowl well, and I think that was another part of it that, uh, I would have selected Mitchell Stark ahead of Peter Siddle or Pat Cummins. I just think uh, Stark should have played that match. And, you know, it was an end of a long series for Cummins. And uh, I think Siddle had already done his job in the series. So, you know, I think they've got most of their selections right this series. But, but I think they got some things wrong with the bowling. So what I'm saying is the toss was one aspect of, you know, of, of a poor test match by Australia. It wasn't the only factor. No, that's true. I just think it... It was a more decisive factor than most times because, I mean, the, the stats are only three teams have ever won the toss, bowled and won test matches at the Oval. The facts are we were up in the series, so, we, you know, we could have put our foot on their throat. England, I think, in the last few years have a record where if the, the opposition scores 250 in their first innings, they don't win many games. So it was all there. But but as you say, look, there are other factors. You, you speak about the selection. What I found quite strange about the Siddle selection was, so if which Australia did, they brought in the all-rounder of Mitch Marsh. Surely that gave you the room to pick a strike bowler like Stark or Pattinson. You, you didn't need someone like Siddle who you could depend on a lot of overs for. Yeah, that's the part of it I don't understand, to be honest with you. I mean, I would have thought Mitchell Marsh and Stark were the perfect combination if you are going to go that way. I guess, you know, maybe the selectors looked at what Siddle did at the Oval uh, in 2015 where he came in for the last match and went brilliantly. But, yeah, look, I think, you know, Siddle was a smart selection this series, did a good job, uh, maybe underrated, but a very good job in the first couple of tests to set the series up. But I just think we get to the fifth test, I, I don't think it was time to play him again. Uh, I think Mitchell Stark 
got the ball rolling uh, in uh, in the fourth test in Manchester, and I think from there you just you just back him in, and it seemed like the kind of surface where Mitchell Stark might have a better have a bit of better luck than uh, anyone else. So, yeah, I found that pretty pretty bizarre decision. Mm. Mitchell Marsh did okay with the ball in his return to the side, taking his first five wicket haul, taking two wickets in the second innings. Didn't make enough runs, but. You know, good performance with the ball, and he, you know, he said he felt like he was unpopular with the Australian public. Well, a performance like that will certainly help win them over. Yeah, I liked that selection. I mean, I think uh, that was smart. You come to the end of the long series, help the bowlers out a bit, and also uh, there's a lot of people saying that uh, it was harsh on Travis Head, but I mean, Travis Head hasn't lit things up with the bat, and just because he might be, you know, future star for Australian cricket, which we all hope he is, you know, it doesn't mean that he's adverse to, to scrutiny and pressure if if he's not performing. And really, the only excuse that you could uh, mount in his, uh, in his defence is that he's not the only one, that there was probably three or four in the same basket who could have got dropped. So in that sense, maybe he was unlucky that he was the one who got the chop. But, you know, if you look at his performances, there's, um, there's not much to say. So I don't, I don't mind sort of the selectors keeping the batsmen on their toes like that. You don't want to be rewarding uh, mediocrity. And Mitchell Marsh, I think, did justify his selection. Yeah, and the selectors could just quite validly say, look, would you have got much more out of the bat with you know someone else in that position the way the batting had been going? So they were better off having the better bowling option. So, you know, it came down to Australia was set 399 to win in the fourth innings and slumped to four for 118, and then the match was gone. But Matthew Wade... Hit a cracker of a ton in the second innings, 117, his highest test score, his second century of the series, his fourth test ton. And uh, there was a ripper battle between Archer and Wade and, yeah, timely knock for the little general. Yeah, and um, look, I don't think Wade's probably got as much credit as he deserves this series. He scored 100 in the first and last test and, yeah, he had a bit of a dry spell in the middle. But um, if you compare that to... Every batsman in this series who's not Steve Smith, it, uh, it it stacks up pretty well. So, look, the selectors overall, despite the, the fact I think they did get the bowling wrong in that last test, you know, this, the selections of players like Wade and Marnus Lubbershane have been absolutely key factors in, in this series win. You know, it's not all Steve Smith. There's been some other wise decisions and, uh, you know, I think, there's you know, still huge issues with the batting lineup, but I think they made a couple of inspired decisions. Well, yeah, Marnus was the second leading run scorer, 353 runs at 50. And uh, Matthew Wade was the third highest run scorer, two tons. And, he, and you're right, he did make a couple of good little contributions in the middle in partnerships when the going was tough. I think, you know, we saw in this century in the last test and throughout the series, Wade can stick it against some good bowlers. He's just got that fight about him. And he's in form, he's, he's confident. And I think two centuries, I hope they stick with him at home next summer. Well, they'd be mad not to because uh, like with, I guess, all the Australian batsmen, you'd expect them to be, you know, even more successful when they get to their own condition. So it could be a huge summer for Matt Wade. I mean, um, you know, he, he deserves that opportunity. It will be interesting what they do. I guess the most interest will be at the top of the order, uh, I'd expect David Warner to definitely hold his position. His record in Australia over a long time is is incredible, and uh, I think he deserves that chance. But uh, the other spot is wide open, and you know, I, I guess the likes of Joe Burns, 
Cameron Bancroft and and uh, Marcus Harris and, and Usman Khawaja, for that matter, will be in a bit of a bat-off uh, in those first few Shield games. Yeah, and then there's young players like Curtis Patterson and Will Pekofsky who they might look at for next summer. Yeah, I mean, you talk about our openers, but our three openers combined didn't make 200 runs between them. And, and an all-time low for David Warner, 95 runs at 9.5. I mean, I mean, it's just you could not have imagined Warner would score under 100 runs in a five-test series. I, I, I can't believe it. Yeah, and the fact that Australia retained the Ashes makes it even more amazing on that front because you'd normally equate David Warner's performance to being uh, crucial in Australia winning or losing. So the fact that they've been able to absorb that kind of performance and still go on and do the job is quite sensational and I guess shows the role that Steve Smith played. But, yeah, look, it's an, it's an interesting time for David Warner. Um, you know, uh, he wouldn't want another series like that. But, uh, like I say, uh, at home, you know, it should be a completely different ball game for him. He, he's got an exceptional record at home and, you know, there's a chance for him to, to rebuild against New Zealand and Pakistan. Yeah, I guess, though playing devil's advocate, if he did come home and struggle in the early Shield games and, and maybe even in the T20 internationals, maybe the selectors would look at leaving him out if he, if he can't. Like he, I think he does need to score some runs at home before the test. Doesn't need to be load, but he needs to show something. Maybe, maybe. But um, I think, you know, if you look at the quality of the... I think David Warner deserves an international series at home and uh, my first test side of the gather no matter what. So let's talk about the man, the great man, Steve Smith. 774 runs at 110, the fifth highest ever Ashes tally. I found a telling comment after the, the game, the fifth test, he said how tired he was, how exhausted he was from, you know, the, the effort that he put in. And it, I guess it just plays into that thought of do we want to give him the captaincy because of the amount of time we want him to spend in the middle yeah um like like we said last week man is i think it's too early to really uh know what's going to happen on that front you know it, it sort of depends on a few things uh which i suppose will be revealed this summer like is there another player who's going to stand up like travis head would have been considered by many to be the next cab off the rank after tim Payne, and he's just been dropped for a fifth test so you talk about putting pressure on someone I think Steve Smith could handle that pressure a lot more than what someone like Travis Head could right now. So, yeah, look, I think it's a long way from happening. You know, as far as I'm concerned, Tim Payne got the job for for the foreseeable future. And, you know, uh, as I say, at the end of the summer, we may know a bit more about where things lie. But, you know, the Ashes is also another step up. So Steve Smith is exhausted, he's drained. You know, he did basically carry Australia's batting on his shoulders. So, you know... It, Test cricket's always intense, but it won't be as intense as that. Yeah, just what a performance from Smith right throughout the series. Uh, Jaw-dropping stuff. You know, to put it against the backdrop of, you know, coming back from a year ban in a marquee series with his teammates crumbling around him. I I mean, it was a mercurial effort from Stephen Smith, one of the best I've seen. Yeah, it's got to rank as one of the best batting achievements in in the history of the game uh, when you consider 12 months out of the match, not playing at the highest level for 12 months. To come back and do that straight away is extraordinary. If if he'd made 50 in that last uh, in that last innings, it would have been you know 50 runs or more in every every single time he went out to bat, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, and you know it would have been two more centuries to add to that list if he hadn't have been concussed and 
and if you know Australia weren't setting up a declaration uh, in that was it fourth test as well. So um, so absolutely extraordinary performance and as dark as the last 12 months have been for Steve Smith, I mean, I think he's going to look back after the end of his career, or maybe he won't look back, but will look back as this, you know, it's it sort of, it's almost enhanced his greatness as a player. Yeah, reports are that he got a standing ovation when he walked off uh, from that final inning. So it looks like he sort of won over the English crowds throughout the summer with his performances. And, you know, he did everything with a smile on his face. And you have to say, David Warner, the same. I mean, I know... The, the two teams got a bit uh, snappy in this test match, but it was was played in great spirit. Yeah, when you compare it to the last the last series in Australia and, and you know, and, and sorry, yeah, the last few series between the teams have been quite ugly, haven't they? So, uh, yeah, absolutely. It was you know, played in good spirit. Uh, I think we can all handle the odd the odd bit of sledging, but uh, it, it's, it's sort of, uh, it's more than the sledging. It's more the attitude that I think was, getting up people's noses. And, you know, I don't think we really saw any of that or at least much of that in this series. So, yeah, it's uh, another reason why the last 12 months, as painful as it's been, may eventually be a good thing. You know, it's maybe it's cleaned up the game and cleaned up Australian cricket. Yeah, Kevin Roberts was on the BBC and, you know, he said that the lesson from South Africa is that, what is it, the end doesn't justify the means. So, that you know, he wants the, the players to play well and be, you know, respected and respectful and not put winning above everything. And I thought that was, you know, pretty well, you know, said by Kevin Roberts. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly the, the new mantra, but uh, it's professional sport. Uh, these guys have paid a lot of money to to win games for Australia and, and that's what they um, that's what they should be trying to do. I mean, I, 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 that, I had an issue with that argument when the whole culture review happened that, it was somehow Cricket Australia's fault for putting this win-at-all-cost mentality in. But, you know, I think that's a bit of rubbish, really. I mean, it's it's pro- professional sport. Some of these blokes are on $2 million a year. If they're not trying to win at all costs, then what are they doing? Like that, That is their job. You know, I think it was there was other aspects that have fallen down, but uh, I thought that that side of things was overplayed. I think what the truth is that you, you need to win with humility and you need to lose with humility and that's what Australia weren't doing. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, before we go, a couple of last questions. Uh, we've got to talk about the bowlers, two in particular. Pat Cummins, 29 wickets at 20. Josh Hazelwood, 20 wickets at 22. You can make a pretty confident argument that that is the best new ball pairing in world cricket at the moment. Yeah, look, Australia, you know, that's been a huge, huge plus from this series is not only we got through without any reported injuries to the fast bowlers, uh, you know, one could obviously come up in the coming weeks once they get scanned and get back home. But you know, to get through virtually unscathed is, uh, I guess, testament to um, to the system of rotating the bowlers. But yeah, look, Australia's it's been great because it's it's set up the summer and it's set up the foreseeable future that. There is a solid base of players that that can do the job. We had Jai Richardson, who was a certainty for the series before he got injured, so you can add him to the list as well. And uh, yeah, so look, I, I'm not sure we'll see Peter Siddle again, but that's um, that's more to do with, uh, I suppose, the conditions that we're coming up against now in Australia, and and the fact that there is so much depth now. But um, yeah, look, overall, I think it was good. I, I think someone like Mitchell Stark has every right to feel a little hard done by and a little disappointed. You know, he he was the spearhead of the World Cup campaign. 
and uh, to only play one test in the series is harsh. And I just think he should have played that last game and perhaps we're telling a different story at the end of it. But um, yeah, look, you know, overall, I think the bowling plan was smart. We saw with Australia, Jofra Archer was going gangbusters for the first two tests, but you know, he going one out on his own, he did run out of steam and that was absolutely key factor in, in that third and fourth test. So Australia didn't really encounter that problem because uh, they had the bench rotating and um, and they were able to charge in when it mattered. Yeah, Nathan Lyon stuck out at 20 wickets at 33. I think uh, an un... A story that hasn't really been talked about is Lyon's been carrying this finger injury through the the fourth and the fifth test. Uh, I, I will only find out, I think, in the wash-up how bad his finger was for the fifth test. But, yeah, I, that's that's a story there because his finger was pretty bad at the end of the fourth test, so I don't know how it miraculously healed for the fifth test. Yeah, yeah, good point. I mean, look, as you said, we didn't have a second spinner in the squad, which is probably force their decision to play him. Was that a what is, was that an oversight? I'm not sure you can say that. Uh, you know, I think we got through the series and Michael Nisa was the only player who didn't get a game. Is that right? Yeah. So I think that says that they did pick a very smart squad. They gave themselves a lot of flexibility, a lot of depth in the fast bowling department, a couple of batting options. So, look, I, I think the logic was pretty sound in that, you know, if it's not Nathan Lyon, who is it as the second spinner? And would you play them even if you uh, even if you had them there? So I think it holds up pretty well. Perhaps they should have played Nisa and just backed um, back in four quicks. Yeah, that, that's what I thought they should have done if he was injured. But he got four wickets in the second inning, so maybe it's not as bad as first thought. All right, Benny. Well, I guess we'll just wrap it up with a couple of big picture questions. You know, as the passage of time goes on, how do you think? This series will go down in history. Yeah, one of the one of the more memorable ones, I guess. Uh, perhaps it didn't quite match 2005 in the end, but maybe it did. I don't know. I mean, it, it didn't come down to that. I guess the fifth test was an anti-climax. That's the big difference between 2005 and 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 this year. But some of the moments we saw. I mean, the third test is one of the greatest test matches ever played. And, um, you know, some of the Steve Smith's heroics and some of Jofra Archer's spells, um, you know, it, it was it was one for the ages, there's no doubt. I, I'd say comfortably the best Ashes series since 2005. And I guess uh, people who uh, saw more of both than what I did might be able to, uh, you know, compare those two. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a special series. I agree. I think the first test was an absolute classic. Lords, we had all the drama of... Smith's concussion and a concussion substitute and a late English push for a win. Uh, the third test you mentioned, one of the greats of all time. The fourth test, a great bounce-back victory by Payne's side. And I think actually in this fifth test, the effort in the third and fourth test did come back to bite the Aussies. They won't admit it, but you know, straining so hard in the third and fourth to win, I think that effort did catch up with them. But yeah, I think it'll be remembered as Steve Smith's series, that performance by Ben Stokes. And uh, Pat Cummins, I think he's now sealed his place in world cricket as the leading fast bowler. And I mean, he does it all with a smile, Benny. I couldn't believe this. Joffrey Archer hit him yesterday at about 90 miles an hour and Cummins is smiling. Yeah. Pretty tough character, but yeah, look, I think men is um, one of the you know one of the things you can really say about this performance from Australia is that you know in some ways uh, it's not the strongest team they've taken to England in the last you know ten twenty years, and they still and they still got the job done. So that shows 
that that shows the mountain they've climbed. You know, we, we might be a bit disappointed about that last test, but to to win the Ashes and and do what they've done, it, you know, it is it is incredible when you consider the quality of some of the teams that have lost over the last two decades. Yeah, I agree, and I'm really proud of the team and what they've been able to achieve. And just last one on a big picture, you know, I sort of see this series as a kind of stepping stone for the Australian team, bringing Smith and Warner back and and slowly putting together the building blocks of a more consistent test side. Although there's a few players under fire, I think we saw a, a team starting to come together. Yeah, look, I think there's almost, you know, um, yeah, look, it's a tough one, I think. There's still almost as many holes in the batting lineup as we had to begin with, but there was an overall team attitude that I think showed vast improvement. There was a toughness about the way Australia played, which we haven't seen for a few years. So, look at that. I don't, yeah, look, I don't think we can sort of claim that everything's back to normal. The, the batting lineup is still got some huge question marks there, but look, yeah, I think there's a, uh, there's been an attitude change with the Australian players and they're willing to get in the trenches and, and fight. So that's that's a pretty good building block to start from. Well, Benny, we will get some sleep over the next couple of weeks and recharge ahead of the domestic summer. Um, thanks so much for chatting throughout the last few tests and uh, hopefully we'll catch up soon. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Good job. That was Ben Horn from the Daily Telegraph. And coming up in a moment, I have Emma John, host of the Spin Cricket Podcast from The Guardian in the UK, as my special guest to give us the pommy point of view of the two all ashes result. Uh, but first, a show announcement. So over the next few weeks, I'm taking a little break after a heavy World Cup and Ashes campaign. I'm going to be releasing my top five episodes from the last two years. So I've handpicked uh, five of the best episodes from the last two years and I'll be releasing them over the next few weeks. Then in the middle of October, I've got a special feature interview to kick off the domestic summer and then Cricket Unfiltered gets straight back into it for the rest of the season. So uh, if you've got time, please go and rate and review the podcast on whatever app you listen to the show on. You've got a few weeks now until I'm back in studio. So go on, please leave a review you on iTunes or whatever app and uh, I'll read some of those out when we're back live. Well, after the break, Emma John. Yeah! has it. Bit of movement away. He's gone. That's one for none at the MCG. Michael Atham caught behind. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. That was Michael Atherton going out for a duck. And joining me on the show is Michael Atherton's biggest fan. I've got Emma John, who's the host of the Spin Cricket (laughs) podcast from The Guardian UK. Emma, how are you? I'm good. You, you know that you know that he did actually score plenty of runs, and and there there are other innings you could have chosen. No, no, no. I just want to dig into this before we get into the ashes and important stuff. <laughs> like I've been listening to your podcast over summer, and I've just been getting very, very concerned about your Atherton obsession. And look, <laughs> I, 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 I have a different story. I went to see England play Australia in 1990 at the SCG, and Atherton made it innings that where he batted so slowly, kids were literally begging to be taken out of the ground. Um, <laughs> so I'm a bit scarred. Where does your obsession with, like, he was 
I mean, I'm not saying he was a, a, a terrible player, but there was like so many other better English players. Well, you you say you saw him in 1990. That was actually three years before I came to cricket. I did not come to cricket until 1993. And I really do think that, you know, sometimes it's just circumstance uh, as much as anything, um, you know, environmental factors that, that, that cause you to pick a favourite player. Uh, and there were several in my case. One of them... 1993 was obviously an Ashes summer. England lost uh, the Ashes in the middle of that series. Graham Gooch stepped down. Mike Atherton stepped up. He was 23 or 24. I think he was 24. Uh, but he, he was still very baby-faced. I was a 14-year-old girl. So there was, uh, you know, he, he, was, he was a very accessible uh, sports hero to have. He was not a grizzled old Graham Gooch. Uh, with with a sort of avuncular moustache, you know, uh, he he was he was definitely more, you know, a, 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 you know, within my generation. And did you have a cr- did you have a crush actually. on him, Emma? Did you have a little crush on him when you were growing oh, up? Oh yes, no, no. I mean, of, of course I did. I mean, I'm not pretending that you know my hormones were not involved in this at all. <laughs> but there, uh, and and remember that you know I was coming to cricket. I I didn't I didn't know this game well. My mum was a huge fan. She was the one who got me into it. And um, and I think, you know, the fact that I came from a family that uh, where I, I had already decided, you know, that I, I, there was a university I really wanted to go to. It was Cambridge University. So when I discovered that the New England captain uh, had actually studied at that university, uh, you know, there was a resonance for me. He seemed like a, a very smart guy. Um, and, <laughs> you know, he seemed to represent... <laughs> Uh, this kind of new, well, it was a new phase of English cricket, right? The, the, there was Not this a very whole good like one. the old guard. Well, we didn't know that at the time. To be fair, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing, uh, but we didn't know that. What we saw was, you know, these older, these older legends: Gower, Gooch, Gatting, Botham. It was time for them to leave the game. Um, you could see that in their physiques, quite frankly. Uh, <laughs> some of them. Not Gooch, he's always he always stayed fit and true. Uh, but you know, there was a there was a changing of the guard. Atherton came along. He seemed like um somebody who was going to lead England out of the doldrums to uh to to a, an age of plenty. Well, uh to a golden future age. And um, you know, I, I I was not to know any better. So I guess you learnt about, you know, awful disappointment at an early age. Well, this is the most this being the biggest blessing in disguise, and of course, it was a very, very, very good disguise because you know nobody wants to spend ten years uh, following a, a, a cricket team that breaks their hearts uh, repeatedly uh, several times a year. However, it, it was a blessing because I never knew any better. I really, genuinely did you got not. A low bar for for some life. reason, I didn't think that we would even ever see the Ashes. I think my mum was, you know, she she used to say things like, oh, I can't see us regaining the Ashes any time in my lifetime. You know, so, I, so I think I kind of just sort of put that on. Uh, and it meant that when 2005 came around, uh, that was an absolutely incredible thing because I'd been watching cricket for 12 years and um, had never, had never believed that I could watch uh, such an exciting series and that England would then win it uh, at the end of all of that. Um, and then, you know, and then obviously for me, the last, uh, up, there's been ups and downs the last 14 years. And I, I, but I feel like that gave me a good grounding because my, I never have too high expectations. I was one of the few people 
during Headingley, who uh, had my feet not just in the ground, but, you know, probably kind of buried more like, you know, as if I dug a hole and buried myself up to my up to my neck in pessimism uh, during the <laughs> Headingley test this year. I was I was absolutely never, never thought that England were in it for a second. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, so it's... I'm always pleasantly surprised. Well, good. Um, well, I guess that's a good place to start with the Ashes. Headingly, I sort of think that's the turning point of this series that, you know, Australia win that. They go 2-0 up. You can see Australia then sort of steamrolling England the rest of the series. But that brilliant win on the back of Stokes' bat got, you know, England back in the series. And, you know, eventually two all's not too bad. Tool's not too bad. It's, I think it flatters England, to be completely honest. Um, uh, I feel like, but then I say that, I say it flatters England. Let's face it, this has been one of those series where it's not been about incredible performances. Steve Smith apart, you know, Steve Smith's performances are, are, are for all time. Uh, but those apart, it has not been about two strong teams duking it out in the middle. It has been about two bizarrely uh, uh, teams with these incredible kind of weak spots and uh, almost like fractures running the whole way through the team <laughs> and and seeing who can who can uh, lose least. I think some of this series. Absolutely. I, it's, it's, it's a funny one. I, I chatted to um, some Australian colleagues last night. Uh, Obviously, I, I chatted. I chatted to some England colleagues first um, on, on our Guardian podcast, and the the mood um, with the England colleagues was incredibly upbeat because we were able to reflect on an entire summer that has been fantastic. We were able to look back on a world, you know, our first ever World Cup win, and because for us, two all felt like a really, really good result, it, and and it was the first time that you know. England had had batted really decently, you know, as a as a unit in this test. I mean, it's a shame it took them so long to get there, uh, but the, you know, we also got to see more of Broad and Archer and and uh, and and how good you know how good Broad still is, how great Archer is going to be. We got to enjoy that. We got a win. Um, you know, we then you know were able to end of that very British way applaud Australia uh, lifting the urn because you know whatever we've still got it in the lord's museum uh, so <laughs> you're not seeing the real thing anytime soon well uh, i would and... say when you say win the world cup that's a stretch too awarded the world oh, cup okay think, okay i'll give you that one i'll give you that one <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not gonna argue with it because i don't care because we still have it yeah <laughs> it still counts to me but yeah so the english colleagues were we, they were very upbeat um and then it was really interesting chatting to the australians who you know, just did immediately kind of you could you could sense that in Australia, this is not going to be uh, even retaining the urn is, is not something that felt overwhelmingly satisfying. It, 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 it felt like it felt to them, uh, you know, that they that their team was sort of riddled with uh, riddled with issues and problems. Um, and uh, and there was a yeah it was it was very interesting to see the difference between how people were reacting last night. Maybe that's just partly because England had just secured a test win, and that, so the mood is slightly different in each camp. But I I definitely think it feels like England played uh, or got away with stuff and played a little bit better than they deserved to, and Australia perhaps did not play as well as 
anyone expected them to. I mean, David Warner is such a good example um, of that, that, that he was somebody who looked so destructive in the World Cup and we know what he can do in tests and, and he didn't because Stuart Broad had his number. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, with the regards to Australia drawing the series, I think that'll become a, a better achievement over time once the sort of disappointment of this test has subsided. I, I think there is a feeling among fans and I'm sure some of the journalists are the same that they can't believe Tim Payne sent England in and had he not we could be sitting here talking about a 3-1 series win to Australia. Oh for sure I mean yes there was a lot of chat about you know what he was doing and the fact that he said in the press conference after that he he's not very good at reading pitches. But he would still uh, send England in again he said he would still send them in again. He would still do it again but you know he clearly shouldn't because he's not good at reading pitches either just get somebody else to make the decision for you or bat because if um you know if if you've got Steve Smith in your side a man who the only time that he he was averaging uh, probably anything less than 50 was in the four innings then uh, then you know you you don't you don't uh, make him bat last no. it's it's a fu- yeah it's a funny one tim payne i I I did not know uh, a lot of, about him um, before the last uh, before this series. To be honest, I hadn't hadn't seen a lot of him. You know, obviously read about him during the India series, um, where he seemed to have he seemed to have impressed people. Um, uh, I've I've felt. I felt a little sorry for both captains, to be honest. Okay, in, so in the let me ask they you, felt Emma. That they both looked out of their depth. So let me ask you then, Emma. You know, so I'm sure you've got a Mike Atherton scale. Like, where does Joe Root fit on your Mike Atherton scale of captaincy? <laughs> of captaincy? Yeah. I was going to say captaincy or batting. Well, well, batting captaincy. well, I've already told you what I think of Atherton's batting. I mean, he, Atherton <laughs> almost turned me off cricket, let alone the other kids. So, um, but, but, but what about... Stuck around for longer than he's been sticking around this summer, though. <laughs> I know. But, but what, what do you think of Joe Root as a captain? <sighs> I, I, I feel like he has never quite shown his own his own ideas his own kind of his own spark he's he 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 has not looked uh like and i actually to be honest i felt like this about a little bit about alistair cook that they they never felt like people who were making interesting uh smart decisions in the middle that that they were reading the game brilliantly i'm sure that and captaincy can be different things can't it I, Joe Root is, is is a wonderful guy, and I bet the team love playing for him. I bet he is able just through being a good guy, just like Alistair Cook, I think, for people to want to to play for him. I bet he's really good at keeping a, a calm dressing room. I think he probably has many of the managerial qualities um, and just the all round good good egg qualities that you you kind of need as a captain but he is he does not look um like a Michael Vaughan he doesn't even honestly he doesn't even look like an Andrew Strauss I I, I always felt um Andrew Strauss might have been a more uh, conservative captain than some but I I very much felt like he was uh reading the game and, and getting a, a a lot out of uh, everything all the people at his disposal Joe, I just he's he's made some really odd decisions this summer. 
not not in terms of the toss as uh, you know a la Tim Payne um not and that he's bad. Been, let's face it better at, he's been much better at DRSing <laughs> yeah. um but um you know fielding placements uh bowling changes nobody's nobody's quite sure that he really knows how to get the best out of Joffre Archer yet and when you've got an asset like Joffre Archer it makes me think of brilliant both of them and all those stories about how Brilly was brilliant at using both them. Um, my mum used to tell me, uh, <laughs> so many of my stories are secondhand, uh, either through reading them or, or, or through being told them. And I remember being told about, you know, Brilly's captaincy of both them, which was just, <laughs> he would get in his ear and, you know, as he was walking back to his mark and tell him this, this, this guy, this guy at the other end, this batsman, he, he doesn't think much of you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and fire him up that way. And I wonder, we've seen those, we, when we see those surprising spells when, when Joffre has opened the bowling and has come in and, and has been, in, you know, as we know, like 10, 15 miles per hour below what he's capable of, you think, hmm, is that... Uh, that's probably not purposeful. That's uh, it might be to do with conditions, but um, why why is Ruth struggling to to fire Joffre up at, at the very beginning of an innings? And there there have been times I've you know we've even seen them on the cameras. There've been a couple of times when when Root has done some really tactless stuff. There there was a moment when he told uh, Archer to, to bowl round the wicket, and he and he told him it from slip. He just he just kind of um, motioned at him uh, from like from the other side of the pitch, uh, which just felt. And Joffre was not happy about that. You saw that in his face. He he kind of looked and was like, really, what? And then he sort of shrugged. Oh, 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 all right. And moments like that when you think, oh, I I'm not sure Joe. Joe knows how to handle Joffre quite yet. Um, I, I think a lot of the times that Joffre's got fired up, it's happened because he's got beef with a with an Australian batsman. Like Matt Wade. Um, <laughs> like Matt Wade. Matt Wade or Steve Smith. Well, I think Root just needs a bit more experience and maybe they'll grow into it. What, what do you think about uh, the summer for English cricket? I know there's been a lot of expectation that the World Cup and the Ashes and then leading into the 100 next year can sort of give cricket in England a bit of a boost. How do you think it's gone? Yeah, I think it's gone great. Um, it's one of those things where it's it's gone great. Like, you know, if you're already a fan, <laughs> from an England fan's perspective, you couldn't have asked for more. Uh, you You did have points where friends of yours who you know are not interested in cricket were following it i.e. the World Cup final at Headingley. And that was wonderful. I, I loved the fact that during the World Cup final and during the final day of Headingley, my phone was buzzing with texts from people saying, OMG, can't leave the sofa. You know, and, and is, that, is that the most that we can hope for? Sometimes I think yes. Sometimes I think as sports go, cricket kind of is overambitious in what it wants to do, uh, certainly in England. Um, I, 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 it's not that the ship has sailed, but the idea that we're supposed to convert everybody to cricket and any moment that we're not doing that is a massive failure. It's, it's a tough, it's a tough call. Cricket's, cricket's not an easy game to understand um, if you're, if you're coming to it fresh if you're coming to it blind you need someone to sit down with you and explain it to you and the best way to do that 
is um, is to to have it kind of around and have it available. The free to air arguments are, you know, <laughs> they are endless over here, um, and that's because they're completely right. You know, there should be a yeah. test match on free to air um, on free to air telly every summer. There should be uh, cricket that people can uh, come across, whether it's on the BBC or Channel Four. I think it was Barney Ronay of The Guardian who said to me, like, nobody has ever got into cricket through watching highlights. And it's completely true. So you really need to have live action that's on terrestrial that people can stumble across. And and and, and people and you need you need um sorry, heroes like Stokes who who can cut through um all the other sporting heroes and obviously especially footballing heroes that um you know that kind of dominate dominate the conversation over here and what about um the hundred how much of that is going to be on free-to-air television do you know yeah i think they i think um yes quite a quite a bit of it i think is the answer uh certainly uh all the kind of fine uh the build-up and the finals but i i think i think a certain number of group games uh are on uh, on bbc2 uh, sorry not bbc2 are on the bbc as well uh, y- yeah there is there's a massive that that's the only point of that competition is literally that there is no other reason <laughs> there's no other reason having that competition uh except to have some cricket that's on terrestrial because they can't get the t20 which would be the ideal thing uh, to be getting behind um, and putting on terrestrial. They, they they can't have that on terrestrial. Very strange. All right, Emma. Well, you've been so good with your time coming on the podcast. Sounds like it's been a fun summer in England. I mean, was it sort of as good as 2005 for you? Better even? Yes. Yeah, for me, um, this is very this is very personal. For me, it was better. Um, uh, uh, 2005, certainly... I feel like it's a story as a narrative, as you know, as a series to follow. You you can't beat that. Certainly, this Ashes doesn't beat that. You know, there's no no way does this Ashes come close to that that Ashes summer. Um, however, as a as a summer, just in it, you know, as as a long season, it, this has been epic. Like the world, as somebody who loves cricket, to have the World Cup in my country. And and to have to just be able to be working in it and to be able to watch that many games. I mean, I've never watched so much cricket in my life. I've never put so many, you know, overs in my brain. I it, it started. I think we had the first Pakistan, even Ireland games, the warm up games that England played started on the 3rd of May. I think that's right. So it's been four and a half months of non-stop cricket and that's why everyone is so exhausted now and you know it's kind of you know secretly slightly ready for it to be over because we literally you know couldn't couldn't go through anymore um but but to have the world cup not just the england games to, to have all those teams to have all the world's best teams playing in uh, towns like Taunton in Somerset, which is this tiny, beautiful uh, West Country town, to be able to go to Edgbaston and and see uh, an, a stadium that was 99.99% full of India fans um, uh, uh, just roaring, uh, uh, playing against England. 
<laughs> and all those kind of experiences really, you know, I was thinking the other day about how the Carlos Brathwaite century, like we've almost forgotten that West Indies, New Zealand game that happened uh, because especially, especially for England supporters, so much has happened since then. And the world cup final, we had the greatest world cup final that, you know, has ever been. Uh, so we've, there's so many great other games, other moments, other performances that have almost you know, if you if you don't go back, if you didn't keep a scrapbook, this was my point. I wish I'd kept a scrapbook because if you didn't keep a physical scrapbook of something where you could look back and go, oh, and that happened. Oh, and that happened. It's going to be one of those summers that just keeps giving every time I look back at it. Well, sounds like sounds like lots of fun. Sounds like it's sad that summer's over. I mean, if you want to come to Australia, cricket, the domestic cricket kicks off here on the weekend. So cricket never stops. <laughs> I, I would, I would, I would hop straight on a plane. But we've got, we've actually got two or three more podcasts to do. We're gonna, we've, we've got the end of the county championship here, um, uh, and um, some of us are still holding out for a Somerset win. In my case, not because I'm a Somerset fan, but uh, because Vic Marks is our, our cricket correspondent at the Guardian, and I just, I really want them to get their first uh, championship trophy for him because it'll make him so happy. So we're going, we're going down to Taunton uh, for the final round uh, for that. And it's, we also have T20 finals day here. That's uh, the end of our domestic T20 season. So we got a couple more episodes um, to record, uh, and we'll do an end of season wrap up. And I think it's funny. I've been feeling pretty. I've been feeling pretty kind of exhausted and a bit down already today after the end of the international season because there were a lot of goodbyes being said to our Australian colleagues last night. But, you know, honestly, after our wrap-up episode, which is the 30th of September, I don't know what I'll do with myself. I mean, Mm -hmm. I probably will have to. I probably will have to fly to Australia. (laughs) Well, you're welcome anytime. Thanks, Andrew. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It's been great to chat. It's a good way to sort of uh, look back on such a great summer of cricket in England and um, good luck uh, in the off-season. I hope uh, you don't get worn down by all the football talk. Oh, it's all right. I will concentrate uh, exclusively on the Rugby World Cup. That's, uh, that's, my, that's my second sport. I'm, I'm not a football follower. So, uh, yeah, I'll be, I'll be kind of rooting for England's second World Cup win of the year. Yeah, and just by the way, I think I blame your mum for your Mike Atherton obsession because from what you've been saying, it sounds like your mum's got good taste in cricketers. Why didn't she, like, help you? <laughs> she, she, she tried, but the problem was all her um, all her heroes were the ones who were who were going out of the game. Her, her, big, her big hero, her big crush is David Gower, um, who I actually had the pleasure of introducing her to once uh he came to my book launch i wrote a book my first book was about cricket obviously but it was about my captain and, and the 90s cricket and oh God. Um, do you have to give out a warning him. with that <laughs> well there's a there's a big picture of um there's a big picture of athletes on the on the front cover so um you know i think people are pretty forewarned and, and the subtitle i mean it's called following on but the subtitle is uh, a memoir of of teenage obsession and terrible cricket. So you know what you're getting into. Yeah. So Gower came to the book launch because he's a very nice man. And uh, my mum overwhelmed with excitement. And my mum, when she's excited, she's not one of those people who gets shy and quiet. She's kind of the reverse. She gets garrulous, let's say. She kind of said, oh, Mr. Gower, I'm, you know, I'm your biggest fan. And, oh, this is just such a thrill for me because blah, 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 blah. And he he very kindly just took it all in and then put a hand on her shoulder and said, Christine, 
breathe. <laughs> uh, well, I'm with you, Mum. He's my favourite England batsman. I'm with you, Mum. Well, Emma, best of luck for the last few podcasts and uh, hopefully we can catch up again sometime. Yeah, that would be lovely. Thank you, Andrew. That was Emma John from The Guardian in the UK. And that's it for this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. Remember, we're taking a little break for the next few weeks. I'm I'm releasing five of the best episodes from the last two years, and then I'll be back in the middle of October with a new episode featuring a special guest. All right, take care and back soon. 